0: Welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 83, all about Google and Android. Well, friends, I cannot talk about Google and Android without my two favorite experts in that topic, and they are here with me after two years, one of them reminded me, because I apparently don't know how to book shows, and I've been acting like nothing's been happening in Google for the past couple years, but we're going to get caught up real quick with Florence Ion and JJ Meadow. Flo is a reporter for Gizmodo and co-host of Material Right here on Relay FM. Flo Ion, welcome back to Parallel.
1: Hi, I'm happy to be here. And you know, I don't feel bad because we were all still at the, you know, we're all still in the midst of the pandemic and, you know, everything's been pretty heavy and hard. So it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really frolicking (laughs) wanting to talk about.
0: (laughs) It's true. It's all just another Zoom call, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but we're good now. Yes, I'm yes. very happy to be here. So hi, Shelly. Happy to have you. And uh, JJ Meadow is an accessibility trainer and consultant and the proprietor of 80 Guys and Blind Bargains. Are you calling yourself a former podcaster at this point or a podcaster on break? I- You know, no, I don't want to
2: say former and I can't uh, throw any shade at you for not scheduling things because, yeah, our podcast has been on hiatus, but hopefully we'll bring it back at some point. See, I'm out of practice some (laughs) time. You are a professional. (laughs) I'm out of practice.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm really glad to have you guys back uh, because uh, Google I.O. has just concluded as we have this conversation. And as I wrote in another context, it's the beginning of uh, dog and pony shows for the big companies, your Googles, your Microsofts, your Apple. And so it's time to find out what the heck Google is uh, talking about, especially with Android 14, because we tend to focus on operating systems. But also there's a lot beyond that going on, both in terms of hardware and in terms of underlying technology. So we're going to get into a little bit of it all. And and Flo, I know you went to Google I.O. So tell me, how was your Google I.O. experience this year? It
1: was very different from years past. So I haven't been in person since 2019. The last couple of years, it was all just online. We had like, you know, the keynote is always streamed for everybody to tune in, but usually there's an in-person segment that I used to be a part of, which is I would, you know, sit in the audience. And then after the keynote, I would go to the different sessions, kind of sit in, listen to developers, you know, watch them exchange QR codes, because business cards are of the past. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, usually there would be like sandboxes set up and there would be experiment tents and um, they would have like a band playing because they would uh, they would they rent out the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is where the Grateful Dead played a lot of shows in the Bay Area back in the. Back in the heydays of live music, um, but this year it was really quiet. It was a lot quieter than years past, and I have to say, a lot less fan service. I I felt like I was at a investors' presentation versus what Google I/O felt like in years past. Because even even the years that Sergey Brin was like flying through the ceiling. <laughs> It still felt, you know, like an like an event for developers. But this year, it felt like, hey, let's justify all the AI, <laughs> and that's all we're really going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> maybe five minutes on Android. Maybe five minutes. Not they didn't even discuss the smart home in the keynote. Which,
0: wow, yeah. no. So, so JJ, what did you do for Google? I/O? You didn't? Did you go this year or no?
2: No, I did not go. And you know, I, I too did. First of all. Man, this not being on Twitter is messing my my rhythm entirely. <laughs> but 20 minutes in, oh, shoot, the keynote. You yep. know, I turn out, oh, did I miss the Android? Oh, no, 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 AI, 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 AI. about an hour AI, and a half AI, later. Oh. You know, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, then, of course, they get into the Pixel Fold and the, the tiny little bit about Android. And pretty much everything that I've learned about Android 14 has been from other events. They did have the what's new in accessibility event uh, a little bit later they mentioned some stuff and where but the keynote yes it's all ai it's all about what's the future of google and of course ai has taken over so many parts of our world and i know we're gonna get into that so well
0: let's but let's just throw things on their head and let's start with android 14 because you know i'm a curmudgeon and that's what i do uh but and i guess i would phrase it this way my question would be is aside from google wanting to talk about ai is there a reason underlying why Android 14 would be such a minor deal? In other words, is it such a non-revolutionary change that it doesn't really warrant all the hype that it would have gotten in the past? Or are they just not having room because they want to talk about other things?
1: I am going to say that it was definitely... I actually haven't personally written anything about Android 14 beyond here's the developer previews and betas for gizmodo because it's been really hard to find anything that's just really like really kicking it to you you know just really like wow that's interesting you know we had Material you come in two years ago so they're still refining the design paradigm on that including some of the ways the design uh handles accessibility uh features and functionality but uh i think part of the other reason is that android is very special inside Google because it's sort of this untouched entity by the rest of the company what's going on with the rest of the company um because it is so because it's so solid um and I think the company knows it's just let's not mess with it that's not you know really our realm <laughs> We're just going to make sure that this operating system stays solid and stable out there. Um, but you could still see that they were trying to infuse it with bits of AI. And so, any anything that Android, any bit that was a part of the keynote, let's say, was because, hey, we're putting these AI features in Android, like being able to make an emoji wallpaper <laughs> and generate and AI. Why not? <laughs> Why not?
2: So, Let's just focus on the camera and emojis. That's yes. pretty much everything. Well, to be fair, emo- iOS
1: 16, yeah. okay, has the lock screen emoji wallpapers,
0: you know. I mean really set yeah. a precedent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I can't I can't argue with you there. And I will tell you that some of my some of my dear friends, the iOS pundit class loves to talk about the emoji wallpapers. So
1: <laughs> I use them as well on my test phone. I did since last time I was here, by the way, I did uh get an iPhone as a test phone.
0: So I have Yeah, I'm intimate you you are covering it. iOS as part of what you do at Gizmodo. You're not just Ish. an Android person. Right? Ish. I'm Ish. covering it
1: as an Android person. I see. Okay. Yeah. Which is a valid Which, thing to do, honestly. It, it is. It, is. it it makes writing, you know, the narrative a little easy too because I have, you know, right. I have an immediate hook.
0: <laughs> so. so JJ, what did you learn from an accessibility point of view? And when we've talked here before and you you mentioned in the in the notes for for our, our show today, uh that the releases of the operating system and the releases of talkback or the updates and accessibility don't always come in a lockstep together. So what's going on with that this year and with, with what you heard from the accessibility part of the keynote at, at Google IO or yeah, not the keynote, I should say, have, the session.
2: Right. The accessibility. what's new yeah. in accessibility, I guess what they called. it. And they barely have for a while. I remember a few CSUNs that you and I went to where there actually was a lot, the what's new in accessibility was dropped there. Mm-hmm. at a big, huge Android session and several of the bigger features. I don't remember if Multifinger was there, but there was definitely a few things that you know got dropped at CSUN and not even at I.O. because they knew that was the accessibility conference. So to backtrack a little bit, Google's preference, or presence at CSUN, which for anyone who doesn't know is a big assistive technology conference in Anaheim, California, maybe 5, 10 people this year where they would have 80 or 90 or 100 and a huge party. Uh, back just a few years ago. So they've really kind of changed how that has operated. And like you mentioned, the talkback updates aren't really synced up. That's true for a lot of Android though, right? So instead of just having the one big update, Google has been doing these feature drop releases, especially for the Pixels, where three or four times a year, you get several interesting new features. Maybe it's a way for them to keep in the headlines and always have a new feature or something interesting coming out. So the latest talkback that... Uh, It's going to be TalkBack 14, so I guess the the version numbers are matching up finally with Android. It's a lot of incremental changes, a lot of things that, frankly, were in voiceover um, and some other just kind of small catch-up things. Uh, Android is doing what's called actions. We've always had actions, uh, but they've been expanded now. So actions essentially means you can swipe up or swipe down when you land on certain items, and they're kind of like a right-click menu. So the equivalent in voiceover is the rotor, and we've had that in Android, but it was never really baked in. It was kind of a sideline feature. So they're really trying to make that a little more prominent, which is a good idea because it can make things a lot more efficient when you're trying to navigate. There's features for spell check, uh, you know, as a more a navigation option that you can use now for spell checking words, um, and just a bunch of other smaller things. You know, more Braille tables, more gestures and commands for. Braille, because what you've had is you've had a lot of features that are available via the touchscreen, but they never had the equivalent Braille command for that. So they've been trying to make more parity for that. But these are all just kind of smaller incremental changes, needed changes. I was going to say that's stuff that
0: they really needed to do because Braille, Braille has been a big issue for Android.
2: Absolutely. It's something that needed to happen, but it's not as impactful as, say, the multi-finger gestures were before or even to some of the previous uh, features, you know, the Braille, uh, the built-in Braille keyboard or the improved but not perfect braille back support.
0: Well, as I scroll through our notes, I see two words that, as as you point out, uh, we, ne- we never thought we'd say, we never thought we'd talk about, but the ongoing fruits of the Samsung partnership. What do we need to know about the Samsung partnership and what's happening with Android and accessibility
2: so remember, we had two years ago, we were just talking about this. Right. Uh, that's when Finger first came in. So to backtrack even further, Samsung at some point decided to make their own screen reader called Voice Access. I don't know why. They didn't think TalkBack was doing enough. I guess they probably had a leg to stand on because TalkBack wasn't doing enough. So if you had a Samsung phone, you had Voice Access, If or I think that's what they called it, or if you had other phones, you had TalkBack. So that just kind of caused a lot of confusion. And... They've been collaborating on a lot of mainstream stuff that I'm sure Flo can speak to. But one of the big fruits from accessibility is combining resources on accessibility features. So it showed up in Wear, it showed up in Android. So I just came back from an Android training class where I trained 40 staff members and we used Samsung A23s. there along with pixels and it's good to see now that the new phones out of the box are new enough now that they have the multi-finger gesture support even on the setup screen so you know it always takes a little bit to propagate down but these features the fruits of that labor is definitely now showing it's making the experience for newer users a lot better
0: does that mean that there's not really a difference from an accessibility or talkback specific point of view uh, for somebody who's choosing between a Samsung and a Pixel. I'm sure you get that all the time. What phone should I get?
2: It's way better. It's way better. You certainly still have certain manufacturers who will choose to skin their phones and create widgets or apps that are a little less accessible. And thankfully, you could download the Google alternatives. You know, you could download the phone app or the Google Messages app. But the Samsung ones are generally speaking quite good as well. So if you get a Samsung phone out of the box, there isn't a lot of additional setup that you need to do.
0: Well, we'll work our way back to phone hardware uh, toward the end. But now it's time to tackle the ai uh i don't even know what to what metaphor to use it's just there's a lot of ai everywhere there's just there's google announcing what i guess you could call big picture ai moves and then there are many many ways in which it's integrated into the operating systems into the web apps it's just ai everywhere so i guess i'd i'd love to hear from each of you sort of what your your take on how google is talking about and and demonstrating uh ai overall is right now It's Google scrambling a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Catching up.
1: Yeah, that's, that's how it feels from an outsider perspective. I kind of, I hate to say that I kind of tuned it out a little bit, but I did. At the same time, after, you know, reading all the coverage after the keynote, you know, I did kind of start to understand that what's basically happening is that we're going to have to learn, at least with regard to like the Google search engine. Uh, We're going to have to learn how to essentially program it because it's going to rely on that AI input the way that you would input a command to AI to kind of help you out for you to understand how to make the most of the search engine. So the search engine has always relied on us sort of knowing I've always felt like there's this secret code to searching for things on google.com and now it's just going to be like, well, how do I get the, the AI to help me find the next thing I'm trying to find? Um, I, I hope that it would make it, you know, something more accessible for folks because from what I'm understanding, the AI is going to help kind of, uh, get the summary of what you need pretty quickly, which kind of feels like, you know, it feels like a good, win for everybody. I know publishers are kind of freaking out a little bit, but I kind of, I kind of like it. (laughs) I like the idea of having a built-in assistant. Um, Finally, that I'm not just asking to turn the lights on and off.
2: So I'm the other end as far as you ducked away from it. I have been full throttle into all of this, but mostly with GPT and OpenAI because Google, frankly, like you said, it's been playing catch up and Google has barred, which <laughs> we have the braille and uh, audio. Uh, you know, I'm blanking on the acronym now. We, you know, the the service braille, for the blind like, that's but reading.
0: reading uh, see, reading. I can't even get it all. Yeah, either. right. <laughs> It's but it's hey. basically the ability to to get books from the Library of Congress in in uh, audio format. Right.
2: I got a idea. I could type to one of these AIs. Right. And Ask say, hey, Bard what, is, what Bard is. What, what is Bard? Stand? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> or, it's an
0: acronym in the accessibility community we're all right. like familiar with, and now it means a different thing. <laughs>
2: now it's Google's wow. right. Now it's Google's Bard. Right. Their you know their AI powered uh, search engine, which is definitely trying to play catch up to OpenAI's ChatGPT and GPT four, and you can tell they're trying to. Play catch up. By the way, it answers things. It does a much worse job at actually giving you real answers. It hallucinates a lot. It's much more of a creative. Let me come up with an answer that might sound plausible, but it certainly does not have the same power. Who's thought we'd be talking? There's people more than ever talking about Bing. What? You know, and now suddenly, you know, because they partnered with OpenAI. Suddenly the search engine that no one ever used and I don't think I've ever mentioned on any podcast ever is now suddenly, you know, actually having perhaps a bit of legs. But as far as accessibility, there's a lot of uh, possibilities for for AI when it comes to recognizing images, when it comes to just synthesizing long pieces of information. One of the examples that's been floated around and has been done is, you know, when you take a picture of a piece of paper pretty much when you're on using optical character recognition, it's just going to read it back to you from top to bottom. Maybe you can skim it a little bit, but what if you're looking for some random number or data that's two thirds down the page? Well, now you could take a picture of it and say, Hey, uh, what's the price of the uh, potato skins on this menu? And then it would, you know, you can, AI can just pull that right out and give it to you. Hopefully correctly. The hallucination is, like I said, is going to be a big challenge though.
0: And to to be fair what we got at IO was the announcement of this Palm 2 system, which is a follow-up. Bard felt very much like it was the catch-up. I mean, obviously they were working on AI inside Google, but they seem to have been caught by surprise when ChatGPT went public, when OpenAI went public with ChatGPT. And then when it got connected to Microsoft, Google had to scramble. And so it's hard for me to tell, and maybe you guys have thoughts, as to whether what they announced to Google I.O. is really a new generation that's going to make sort of the missteps they had with Bard feel a little less problematic <laughs> or <Sorry>. not <laughs> nah,
2: i mean they they just have a long way to go i mean not that they can't catch up they are google i mean and they they're putting their future in ai as is just about every other major tech company so they are certainly capable of catching up i have plenty of faith if they wanted to go that route you know so but i'm not convinced You know, unlike search, I'm not convinced that Google will be the leader when it comes to AI and and generative responses, all these different things. I think there's going to be one of a half dozen. And, you know, there certainly is possibilities that something else will emerge and this be so much better than what they're doing. And they're going to have to dig in other directions.
1: It feels like it's going to be really good for Google's products, because just as you were talking, JJ, I have I apologize. I had my inbox open here in the in the background. And then I see I. 10 minutes ago, I got an email Bard, an AI experiment by Google. Exciting new features just dropped. And it's, it's a overlay oh. of Bard in Google docs and Gmail and things, you know, how you're supposed to be able to ask it to help you with templates and to help you to start a draft. And so I can see this just becoming like, If you learn Bard, it'll help you uncover, you know, all the Google Doc secrets, which it feels like it's that's going to be where the real AI race is going to start is inside Office Suites.
0: (laughs) Right. That that was what was intriguing to me is and and I want to go back really quickly to something you said about sort of programming search, because even though there is this kind of secret code that we've all learned about search, there's a way that you can kind of you know, bluff your way through if you don't know the secret code and if you don't remember to put a plus in front of some term. Uh, and you can kind of get most of the way to what you want, especially if you're patient enough to do multiple searches. But it does feel like to me that if you really want to get something out of AI, you're going to have to. There, it's actually it feels like everybody should be taking a logic course of some kind because it feels like you're going to need to know not only the the code words to use with the AI, but sort of how to order them and how basically how to request what you want to get back out of it. And I, I don't know if it's, I, if it, I feel like that's a sort of a different thing than what we're going to get with the apps like sheets and docs and, and all the ways in which it's probably going to assist you proactively and ask you, what do you want to do? And okay, well now that I know sort of what you want to do, let's refine it even further. And before you know it, you have this half finished templated thing that is a pretty good way toward what you want. And that's that's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, prompt engineering, obviously, is a field that's kind of taken off. And of course, there's a lot of people that are just taking advantage of it and trying to turn this into the next million dollar idea. I'm not going there. But it really is about how you ask it something. And you can have this back and forth, where before, when you had a Google search, you searched for something, you saw results, then maybe that inspired you to search for something else. Well, now you can get results, but then you can ask more follow-up questions, so you can ask for it to hone in more, ask for details. But by the way, just to show the the divide, BARD stands for Braille and Audio Reading Download, and it goes on. This comes from Chat GPT. Google says, as an AI language model, I can't help you with that. <laughs> so, I love that
0: because I actually did just Google it. I was gonna like lay on that how bad that acronym is, but I love that you AI'd it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so, so do we want to dig a little bit deeper into so AI will be in search, AI will be in mobile apps. Well, I keep saying mobile apps, they'll be in Google apps. Yep. Uh, and Message, they're pretty text much messages. In text, they're pretty much infusing it into everything Google makes from a software point mm-hmm. of view, right? Is are there are there and I, I know that there were various there's Palm and there's Tailwind and there are various and I and to be honest, like I took some notes on some of this, but I lost track. It felt like there were so yes, many of them. There's
2: always so much.
0: And and I, I guess I'm wondering, wondering what you guys think are the most important takeaways. Is it just that we're going to have AI in everything that Google gives to us that we're used to using on a daily basis?
2: In simple terms. Yeah. That's probably where (laughs) we're headed. There's a lot of, there's a lot of potential downfalls to all this. And I'm not an AI skeptic. Like I said, I've really been into it, but there's a lot of just making up information, you know, when it comes to looking at text or probably later on images, things like that. And that really does concern me. And then, of course, people look, look at all the AI content that's already being posted all over the place. You can kind of tell it's AI by the way it's being written, although this will get better. And, you know, maybe you won't be able to tell as much. But then Google, OpenAI, others are going to train on AI generated content. So you kind of have this loop and it very well could lead to just, you know, a lot of a lessening of information compared to what we had before. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things that could go wrong, but there's certainly a lot that could go right as well as far as this way you can automate things, the way you can synthesize data. Coding is an amazing uh, opportunity for just creating uh, programming and code f- to make it more accessible for many more
0: people. Might actually get me to do some coding, honestly, because I think, was thinking I'm about, thinking about that, that too. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. thinking. Now, I, finally. I, because it was so hard to
1: Google stuff before, like whenever I would try and fix a style sheet, it was very hard for me to get the exact thing that I was looking for to fix because I am such a novice that I don't know exactly, you know, what to ask for or maybe where to look at. So the idea of just having this helper bot, you know, I'm, I'm both optimistic, but also skeptical
0: Flo, when you were at at I.O., did you go into any sort of deep dive sessions or have an opportunity to sort of learn things that, I mean, the the keynote, famously, the keynote, you can, you know, if you just had Sundar Pichai saying AI, it would be, what, 12 and a half minutes or something like that. But presumably Google, Google I.O. is a lot more than the keynote. And perhaps there were there were there deep dives that sort of gave you an understanding that you didn't otherwise have about, oh, this is a thing they're doing. So there was actually
1: a uh, Sundar AI cut that made it to YouTube. And it was about a minute and 20 seconds, if I remember correctly, of him just oh, saying AI. I thought it was AI. 12 minutes. Okay. I, I've <laughs> slandered him then. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it was just like a super cut of him just saying the word AI. Yeah. And apparently it was enough to fill a minute and 20 mi- seconds, which is still a lot. So yes, many, many mentions of AI. <laughs> wow. um, in, in past years, I have gone to the sessions where I would listen in and I would make notes and I just didn't feel as rushed to do that this year. Like I haven't even updated the Android 14 beta until right before we started recording because I'm like, oh, I should probably have this as reference over here. But as I said earlier, Android 14 just feels so quiet. I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling a rush to go out and and dig in. You know, they, they did announce some other things like... Wear OS 4, but there's not really much of a user-facing situation there. It's just more of a theoretical, it's coming. Uh, but it's a little frustrating because Wear OS 3 still hasn't deployed to every single Wear OS watch out there. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like more fear again of, oh God, are they still going to do fragmentation? You know, it's a, it's kind of feels like Google's trying to refined its footing because a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the press, a lot of headlines around their business has been about what they're going to be doing with AI. And so how can you focus on anything else when that's the noise surrounding
0: the company? Right. And that has to be a big management problem for them because what you say publicly and what you, how you have to position yourself because competition exists, there's, there's still thousands of people back there you know, working on Google Sheets or Talkback or Docs right. or whatever, and I, I don't, I don't know how that affects their ability to continue to progress and get the resources they need, and and I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it feels to me like sometimes when an operating system like I like uh, whether it's Android fourteen or whatever iOS, it feels like sometimes it's a good year to just not try and do too much, and sometimes it indicates that you're behind a curve. I mean, do you you guys feel like? there are things that they really, really should be doing in a big picture way? Or does it feel like just kind of going slow with Android 14 might make sense given all this other stuff that's going on?
1: I do think going slow with Android makes sense, but I also don't think they're going as slow as we see them going. Hmm. Um, you know, I can't speak in specifics, um, but you know, As I was there all day in the press room, so I I do get a bit of access that, you know, beyond most folks do at these things. And so I kind of like just picked up the mood of the folks who are working internally on these things. And at least on the Android team, it felt like they really want to talk about all the stuff that they're trying to do on the back end to just make this a better operating system. So things like... Really committing to uh, Project Mainline, which was the initiative they announced a couple of years ago to make it easier to update Android piecemeal versus waiting for one big software update annually, kind of the way iOS still you know has trained its users. It's like we're going to give you one big software update every year plus like a couple little updates throughout the year with Google, they're trying to keep Android on the same playing field across the different manufacturers. By making it piecemeal so that they can just update it in the back without having to go through the front door and deal with the carriers and, you know, the UI that's on top. But that's not sexy to talk about like that in this world of, oh, my God, AI is coming for our jobs. Like that's that's not something that is going to get a marquee, you know, headliner for the Android OS. So that's why it's been kind of hard to say, woo, Android, but it's more like a woo. Yeah, it was there. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you're doing a great job. I'm I'm here to support you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. There are some accessibility features though that they are working on as a part of the whole OS. If we wanted to dive into that a little bit.
0: Yes. Yes. Let us do that.
1: Um, I think the biggest one that they're doing for Android 14 is just making it easier for people to read. Uh, the big thing is that now the fonts and in the interface can be scaled up to two hundred percent. Previously, they would be limited to one hundred thirty. Um, the Material U design paradigm has also been improved to scale up instead of smushing text together. So non-linear text will no longer look like. Internet, 2008, somebody messed up div tables, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And and just
2: to jump in for a second, the way I'm understanding this, and I can't see it, so I'll take you guys' word for it. It's one of the big things that they've been emphasizing with the font thing is when you have bigger text and smaller text and you're scaling it up, the the bigger text won't necessarily get so huge that it's falling off the screen. It'll Mm -hmm. kind of scale more appropriately with the smaller Mm -hmm. text that's around it.
0: Yeah, I, I would imagine that that's probably why they were hesitant to make it bigger, bigger before, because, yeah, 130 isn't all that much of an improvement. But I know that from iOS, you can scale it like crazy, but then you lose entire perspective about what you're looking at on screen. You have a, you know, a text message that takes up the full screen and you're like, wait, I can't even see who it's from now because the text is so big and it's flopped over and it's not justified and it just, you know, looks wrong.
1: And the crummy thing about all of that. Is it was really the Pixel devices that was struggling with this like really small font because even I was finding it, it's hard to read on the Pixel screen under six inches or even my Pixel 7 is what, 6.3 inches and I, I sometimes I'm like... I'm going to put this down. I have the privilege of having all these devices, so I will go to the Z Fold 4
0: right. because I, can, Pick up the yeah, I one. can open it up into a <laughs> tablet
1: and then I have, you know, tablet font size. Um, I'm tired of the small fonts, so I'm very happy to hear that they're upscaling things. They're also, by the way, going to make it easier for high contrast text. So they're going to actually make it legible with the dynamic theming that they added as a part of Material U. So you can actually take advantage of this beautiful colored theming situation that Google programmed into the pixel version of Material U. And, you know, you can actually read it instead of being left out of the experience because, you know, of...
0: That's a big deal for me. That's, uh, that's, That's where I live because the bad taste in my mouth that I got when iOS 7 came along is it's not entirely left me. And so, I mean, a lot of what happened with iOS after they made such dramatic changes was they created a sort of clunky way for you to be able to read high contrast or what was then called smarter for colors rather than dark mode. But it never gave you anything like the experience of shading, much less color, that would give you some ability to understand what's going on on screen just by, you know, a visual look. It was just like, okay, let's use a hammer, let's turn it into negatives, as opposed to try and use the theming to create some subtlety uh, for folks that can take advantage of that. So... That's all good yeah. stuff. It, <laughs> don't buy a small Android phone, though, is what I mean.
1: <laughs> no, don't. But the thing is, if you bought a Samsung device, though, it would be different. Like, you could make the font a lot bigger on the yes. Samsung UI.
0: Yeah, and their contrast mm-hmm. is pretty good. They have contrast settings that are specific to the Samsung devices, too. But I've always been wary of Samsung personally just because of all the bloatware and You just stuff. get a pixel and, fold. Yeah. You do have to sign up for a Samsung uh, profile as well, which kind of irks yeah. people
1: out. Yeah. I have a couple of quick little bits if um, I... Yeah, go ahead. So hearing aids are going to have their own settings panel. So you're no longer going to go to control your hearing aids through the Bluetooth menu. Now you have a specific settings panel. You type in hearing aids into the search bar or you ask your assistant to open that up. And then it will include a pairing shortcut that you can pin to the home screen, as well as the ability to improve the device's uh, sound relative to the phone. So maybe if you need to like bump up the sound, you can do that. Uh, Notification flashes is another thing. So this basically is a physical notification system versus a pop-up on screen. So this one flashes the screen one of eight colors, I believe. Or you can have the flashlight go off if you get like notification or, you know, a Discord message. So you make make sure that you see it. And then... One thing that is not an accessibility uh, categorized feature, but I think that will will be beneficial overall, is just there's going to be better support for input devices like keyboards with touchpad gestures and uh, modifier key remapping. So it'll be easier to go in and have like a caps lock key do something else for you. You mm-hmm. know,
2: I just, didn't know that. Yeah, that that is there. Yeah, keyboard support. It's because
0: of the tablets. By the way. That may, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, that's nice, especially <laughs> yeah. they, it makes the tablets much more yes, compelling, really. Yes, they have to do that now if they're going to compete with iPad OS.
2: <laughs> well, if you look over the last year or two, especially amongst these random incremental improvements, one of the, the big hangups for me before using Google Docs on Android was you didn't have keyboard shortcut, but they, they've now pretty much taken all the ones from Windows and Mac and brought them over to mobile, both Android and iOS. So, you know, when you have Docs, when you have Sheets, it's nice to be able to do that from a Bluetooth keyboard. Otherwise, it pretty much was unusable. So, But now it's actually to the point where you could do docs.
1: Reading all
0: that email without a shortcut? Are you kidding right.
2: me? Yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense.
0: It's, it's kind of an argument for using Google Apps, too, because otherwise, if you're in mm-hmm. whatever native app from iOS, from Apple, or from somebody else who knows whether those keyboard shortcuts right. are going to map. But I would hope that all the Google shortcuts are consistent across yes. platforms. We shall see. I do want to
1: ask, uh, JJ, you're, you're using Android day today, correct? So I want to ask a question. I want, I want to ask JJ's opinion on something real quick, if I can, Shelley, how do you feel about the gestures on Android? Because, you know, I feel slighted because I still use navigation bar. And then I, Try to use the gestures and I don't even get like the hang of them. And it just makes me feel like, is this really user friendly?
2: You're referring to like the one the the home and back and the recent, yes. those type of gestures. I don't use, I also yes. revert to the three button. You I know, mean, thankfully you can still do that. Um, I revert to the old style, but I do kind of like the actual buttons. It seems like overall the gesture, the, the way Android handles the touchscreen, and I think partly it's because of the classic, as we call the angle gestures and talkback, Mm. I think that slows things down because what talkback is trying to do is trying to see if you're using an angle gesture or if you're doing something else. And it has to figure that out before it can go further. But what that does is slow everything down and you get less responsiveness. So to me, it's more of a general thing. The responsiveness there is slower, the, the slower, the responsiveness on the keyboard The on-screen keyboard, it's not as fast as iOS as far as like moving your fingers around and typing. So I just really wish there could be a bit more snappiness when it comes to a lot of these things. So I think for that reason, that's why I don't actually use those gestures. I just stick to the three-button navigation.
1: Oh, please don't take them away, Google. Just keep. I think
2: there's (laughs) enough people. You know, there's so many settings. I feel like, well, knock on wood.
0: Google's busy paying attention to AI. They're not going to take no. care settings. Are, are they? Wait. Shelley,
2: before <laughs> we move on, I should um, do a quick Braille mention. And um, yes, I will mention Bluetooth yeah, Braille as a, a shortcoming in a second. But they have added support, uh, at least via USB. It's better than nothing for the National Library Service e-reader, which by the way, you can use to read books off of Bard, the other bard. Bard. Um, So for a a tiny bit of background, everyone in the country that qualifies for library services can now request one of these Braille e-readers. So you used to be able to get record players or cassette players or digital players, but now you can request little Braille displays. Um, There's two of them that are being sent out, one from Humanware, one from a company called Zumax. And the Humanware one supporting... A protocol called Bluetooth HID, which apparently Google had promised several years ago. Oh yeah, we're going to support that, and they still have not. So you cannot use the free Braille display that everyone in the country is getting with Bluetooth with Android. It's awful, and I every time I'm on anything, I will say that. And it's you know, but that you can now at least use it with USB. That is a, a step, um, a, a small one, but at least a little sm- uh, closer step to being able to use those ubiquitous displays uh, with Android.
0: It is kind of amazing that that's not been sorted. I mean, I know even like when, when the Orbits came out, they had Bluetooth issues. I think yeah. it's, it seems like, I don't know whether it's Bluetooth HID specifically, or if it's the chip. I can tell know, you humanware is not happy because like, they
2: will, they made no bones. Them yeah. and <laughs> APH was associated with that about tweeting, posting, whatever, telling anyone they could that, you know, they, they were very public about it and they don't hide their feelings.
0: Well, it's like, it's not our fault. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) We made the box they wanted us to make, you know? So, well, uh, since we've sort of veered off into hardware a little bit, uh, let us talk about the uh, Pixel Fold and then whatever other, the the tablets as well. But the Pixel Fold and and everything that I have been hearing uh, is meh. And that's, I think a lot of people are meh on foldable phones anyway. But specifically, I think the issue with Google was, they're late, or it's well. It's really expensive. It's like eighteen hundred mm-hmm. bucks, right? Yeah. 70, 700, 1800 bucks, and so that's an issue. But Flo, I, I assume that in your vast arsenal yes. of devices, you've gotten a chance to, you have or have gotten a chance to use fold foldable phones. So I guess I'd wonder, what's your take in yeah, general? Tell me what and this and feels how, like? What's your feeling about the Google? <laughs> I,
1: <know>. I love <laughs> the Z Fold Four, which is Samsung's. I've been using it since they since I got my review unit last summer. So I've just I use it every single day. It's it's, it is expensive, um, and I have a theory that the Pixel Fold costs as much because my understanding is that they use Samsung's display because Samsung is the one that's kind of honed in the foldable ability right now, mm-hmm. and so to kind of keep them, you know, par-to-par, have them both start at the same price point, $1,800 for, I think it's two hundred fifty. 128 gigs, which isn't very much. No. just going to say. No,
0: it's not a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's about as much as a brand new high-end laptop for the 256 uh, variant. But I will say, if you want a two-in-one device, like this is it. Um, The Pixel Fold is a little wider than the Z Fold 4. So I think that's going to actually help kind of uh, train users on the idea that when they are ready to buy a foldable, they will have to kind of choose their form factor. So, like, what do you like? Do you want a wider screen? Or do you want something that's maybe a little thinner so that it doesn't, you know, take up a lot of pocket space? Like, there's going to be kind of these offerings. And even though foldables are new here in the U.S., they are alive and kicking overseas. So a lot of other brands are making phones like this. There is... um, there's a brand that's making a foldable for about 1200 overseas starting. Uh, it's not as powerful, but it still has the same form factor. So, you know, I do see a price drop in the future, but I think for now, Google and Samsung are just trying to train the market with their offerings. And the fold only seems late because Samsung is on its fourth generation, but If you compare the Pixel Fold first generation to the Z Fold first generation, it's vastly different because the first Z Fold was Does Does the
0: hardware benefit from the fact that, I mean, Android's been on Samsung. Samsung built these devices. They're using Samsung's display. Obviously, Android supports foldable phones. So does, does the Pixel get any sort of leapfrog advantage from the fact that folding and support for it has been out for a no. while? No. I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little
1: concerned about what the the interface is going to be like. Um, the phone isn't expected to launch until probably late June they're saying. So Until then, there's not going to be a whole bunch of refinement to Android, you know, that like changes it. What Samsung had is the advantage of their one UI, even though a lot of folks are like, why would I want to use a third party UI for Android? For Samsung, the leg up was that they had these partnerships that sort of helped create an ecosystem of apps that worked with this form factor because Android only started putting folding source code into its code in Android 12 L and Android 12 L was a special version of Android that was introduced to start the work that they needed to do to get to this point that we're at now. So there's going to be a difference in use. Um, There's going to be a difference in the way you drag and drop an app, for instance, to pin it to either side of the screen. There's going to be a difference in the way that um, a Samsung phone remembers your app layouts versus the way a pixel phone remembers your app layouts like you know if you have two apps on one half of the screen and then an app on the other half it's it's all doable but it's just slight differentiation between them and I'm already noticing this with a third third third-party OS which is Oxygen OS and that's the one that is for the OnePlus devices so that part is kind of annoying me a little bit I want to, I thought we were going to have more parody, but the upside is that now that we have this stuff built into Android, it means there are actually apps that we can use that take advantage of this. Mm. Obviously the Google apps, all 50 of them will take advantage of this, but TikTok, Peloton, you kind of saw some of the app icons in the promotional material that came out last week for Google Io. Those are going to be the partners, you know, that are coming out first with uh, the foldable um the the foldable scalability, I should say. But uh, it's a lot better now than it was in the very beginning. So Google released its fold at the right time. It released it when it was ready to do the foldable thing, not when Samsung was ready.
2: (laughs) That's very not Google, because usually they would be one that would rush ahead and try to, you know, be the trailblazer at some sort of new technology, and then let Apple or someone else come up with it later. So this is kind of a little different where they let Samsung... Kind of figure out, and others figure out the category for a year or two before they jumped into it. It's still very.
0: But does Google really innovate in hardware very often? I mean, they in software it seems yeah. like they jump out, but what about on the hardware yeah, side? Yeah. They're
1: not. They're not hardware innovators. The hardware just still exists. Yeah, good point. Even though it has a cutesy name now, it just exists as a reference point at the end of the day um the pixel brand is a little different because it's so it is so consumer focused versus the nexus lineup was a very developer focused device um but we already see with like these pixel drops that are happening and they're very specific to the google line of phones because it takes advantage of the google internal hardware but it's not necessarily you know means that the hardware is better than what everybody else is putting out there. Um, I still think the Z Fold is better with its Qualcomm processor inside, with the way Samsung has sort of figured out durability. I know there's a lot of complaints online about cracking screens, but so far, so good over here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Shelly, I would assume there's some benefits for low vision, right, for foldables and being able to expand out and enlarge Mm -hmm. things.
0: I would think so. And never having used one, I'm super curious about how, you know, things like that app layout situation where, you know, how, how much you can customize it, how, how you can customize the look of your screen to optimize for the way your vision works. And that that's super intriguing to me. And yeah, I would think just having more real estate is almost always good for low vision. And especially now that we're getting better text scaling, maybe that'll help. But I, you know, I don't I don't know. I've not had a chance to play with one. But JJ, do you know any blind folks or have you gotten to use a folder? A I've fold held one for about kind? 10
2: seconds and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, honestly, and I'm not one as a blind person. Some blind people are like, well, why do you need a bigger phone? And I, I like the bigger phones because you get more real estate. You can fit more apps on your home screen, things like that. But as a fold, you know, the big advantage of it would be, I guess, fully, you know, to watch videos with. Friends or do other things like that. For me, I don't think I'd benefit that much from you know being able to have twice the the screen real estate. You know, especially for seventeen ninety nine. Think I'll I think I'll hold well, up. Well, the
1: keyboard is really I can type very fast on okay. the Z Fold Four. Like I can actually do, I can actually answer email on it because I can cradle it with my two hands and use my thumbs right. versus a phone in vertical mode. Or excuse me. <laughs> Not vertical mode, uh, I meant landscape mode. The yeah. other one. <laughs> yes, thank remote. you, thank you. <laughs> landscape. Um, or even versus a tablet, because sometimes the the tablet, like having all the fingers on screen, it is not a same experience as typing on a keyboard. I do think, though, I don't know if you guys saw that they, um, they were talking about a translation feature which uses, you know, both screens on the inside and outside. It's nothing new, by the way. This is just an extension of something that Google Translate used to be able to do. But I thought about it as in terms of accessibility, about how like, yes, you can use that bigger screen to be adaptable to different situations. And so it's really going to be, I I feel like it's still going to be the developer community that drives that.
2: Yeah, I wonder if there's a use case, and I guess free idea for anyone who wants to steal it. I wonder if there's a use case to have different accessibility settings applied, whether you have it folded, unfolded, which screen you're using. Because there could be some use cases for that, perhaps.
0: I think there could be. Well, they also, the, the thing to say about big phones, not folding phones, but the big phones, is on the iOS side, people, blind people like them because of the yep. Braille screen input feature. So we if you do. had something well, we have like that. that on Android, you, you, is it what's it called on an Android? Braille screen, just, well, yeah. It's, it's not Braille screen input.
2: Braille, the braille, on-screen Braille keyboard. It? But
0: I mean, and but you're not... You, So you're not you're not using it because I know people who love that. And I do know some Android people that claim that
2: the Android implementation is better than the iOS one. So it 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 certainly that has. Oh, I've heard that too. But but
0: (laughs) I can see I can see having. Uh, using Braille on one side or even, you know, one hand on each side or however however the implementation would work. Because yeah, you you really, I, I could never do it very well on whatever phone I had when they first came out with Braille screen input and I learned how to do it. Whatever phone I had was pretty small. And now I have a 14 Pro Max that I can play on. It's like, oh, that is a million miles better just as it is better on a tablet. So I can see that for a fold yeah and maybe when you have it all the way unfolded you can you, you have braille screen input front and center and when you don't have it, it automatically switches yeah whatever yes. yeah right right something like that how about the tablets so is that like uh, google what, what's the sort of brief has google start again? So let's talk about tablets a little bit. Now Google has had tablets before, but what they did this year is is new. Did they did they stop having tablets or are the tablets sort of just gone underground? <laughs> or what, what's new with tablets? The this tablets year? went underground. Actually, what happened is
1: so Google started with tablets with Android Honeycomb way back, I think that was like twenty twelve. And uh it just wasn't working for them because the UI was not scaling to that size of a screen. And they just kind of left it to third party manufacturers after the last tablet they made, which was the Nexus nine that was HTC manufactured for those who remember. then they kind of went underground and they tried to bring tablets. They tried to bring Chrome OS to tablets and have that be the operating system that was going to drive that market because they saw how iPad OS was taking off with, you Mm -hmm. know, mobile workers and all that. But Android, even though they're building things into it, Android is a little different, right? It's just, it just is. So I think what's going to happen is the Pixel tablet in particular is not meant as a work on the go tablet, it is a homebound device. As, a, you know, evidenced by that dock that comes in the box with it. So they want you to dock this thing. They want you. It's basically how my friend from The Verge, Victoria Song, called it a uh, she called it a modular Android tablet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me, a modular <laughs> Nest That's what she called it, a modular nest.
2: That makes sense, yes. Right, right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So you can take it off and then oh I've got my, my nest is now a tablet. Oh, but I need to control the lights. Let me put it on the dock. And then you know, you have the smart home panel that pops up when those pogo pins hit. And so that's what Google's going to do because they didn't even announce accessories for this thing beyond a case that fits with the dock. They didn't announce any like special Bluetooth folio case. They didn't announce any special stylus. They're like, hey, you could use a USI stylus if you want to do that thing. You could use a Bluetooth keyboard if you want to do that thing. But that's not what this tablet is about. If you do want an Android tablet for work, then you would go look at another brand. You would go look at Lenovo. They actually do make Android tablets. Um, the P12 Pro, I think, was one of the first that could handle some of the early Android for large screens tricks. Uh, there's also the OnePlus Pad, which I reviewed for Gizmodo a couple weeks ago. And that one is very work-focused as well. They encourage you to buy the folio that comes with it and all that. So, And the price point, by the way, is not that bad. It's 450 I believe. Four ninety nine, Essentially, yeah. excuse me, four ninety nine. dollars 99 worked iPad territory. Yeah. You know. yeah. And it comes with a dock.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, it comes with that. that which
1: has a, has a full range driver, which you should know, <laughs> for the stereo sound. <laughs> I've had a lot of briefings, okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. You're yeah, yeah, a family,
2: right. though, that, you know, you have various nests around your house. I'm not going to say the other thing. You know, the... That's great until you want to use the, the nest as a nest, and then someone took the dock to the other room, and now they're like, get to track it down. And that's what I had a picture for everyone. It's a little goose chase.
1: Well, they want you to buy additional docks so you can place them around the house. Oh, God, so you got to figure out you're which one it's on. Like, <laughs> sitting on. Like, let me walk to my bedroom and put my tablet down. Let me walk to my office and put my tablet down, you know. We'll see if it takes off. a cute off. idea.
2: I mean. It's not a bad tablet, I mean, <laughs> at least to the price. I mean, we'll see. We'll see it,
1: how. It's very nice. It has a Tensor G2 in it, which Google, you know, speaking of how it's kind of working to parity with Apple, Google's trying to own its supply chain as much as it can. So it's owning the processors on the inside, which means it'll make it easier for Google specifically to update all these devices with the same features. You know, it'll kind of in terms of performance all of these devices are tuned for Google's AI more than they are the way like a Qualcomm chip is tuned
0: so some things to keep in mind which is which is the way Apple talks about things too with their yes. uh, silicon chips mm-hmm. now is because they always call out the processor and the the machine learning mm-hmm. chip right so they yeah. they're very specific about that architecture and something like Google is Go on this. And is, that's the same chip in the fold as well, that's, right? That's yep. correct. And I do see Google yep. doing some things
1: like what Apple did with the HomePod, which is you know they put a uh, what they put the the Apple Watch chip in there. I think it was Series, I forget which Series it was, but uh, because of the machine learning capability in that, that you can program. So it's going to be yep. it's going to be interesting to see. It's basically Google is competing with Apple, and then everybody else is competing with Google. On the Android <laughs> side, that's the kind of how I'm seeing it.
0: Well, you guys, thank you so much for this. Uh walk through the Google I.O. Uh, fields. Um, I have one more question for yes. each of you. Uh, you've both been to yep. Google I.O.s at various times. You have been to, in JJ in my case, to the uh, massive Google CSUN party, which uh, didn't happen this year apparently, so I'm not so sad that I missed CSUN. Uh, so my question, my one more thing question for each of you is what is the best bit of Google swag you have gotten over the years?
2: This is really easy for me, and I've never been able to figure out where it came from. So I believe it was CSUN 20. 11. This is way before this is when Google sent a couple of token people. Yes.
0: Before I knew <laughs> And you, when JJ. Google sent a couple of <laughs>
2: token people to kind of say, yeah, we realized that we got to do something at some point. So it was, I think it was 11. Um, you know, so they had two or three people and I pretty much told them how much Android was off of what I'm trying to use it and, you know, and for me talking to them for a bit, they gave me a bunch of stuff, including this nice glass mug with Google etched on it in Braille. Um, Ooh. It's a nice mug. It's a little That's cracked, fun. but I've, I, I had it on my really office cool. desk for many years. I'll, I'll get a picture of it at some point. Yeah, I, I've looked I like on it. eBay yeah. for it. I've looked all That's over the place. Cool. No one seems to know where these came from. I can't find anyone else who seems to have gotten one, but I have yet to top that. Even though the gummy bears came close.
0: Gummy bears, however, are perishable. They will at some point go in your mouth and they'll yes. be
2: gone. Yes, <laughs> and they are gone. I do not have any anymore.
0: Flo, how about you? Uh, well, I'll tell
1: you, this year the swag was a T-shirt. A sweatshirt, a hat, a water bottle, and a virtual card game. <laughs> like cards for a virtual card a game. Virtual card game. Um, so yeah, play? plus a really nice cloth tote bag. So they really like, they really equipped us this year. But the best swag I've ever gotten was actually w- during one of the pandemic IOs when they sent a box to press, they sent us these ceramic... Ah, I forgot the name of the brand, but there's like the ceramic coffee mug brand. Anyway, I still use it to this day. It's like one of the best coffee mugs. It doesn't have a, uh, it's insulated. It doesn't have a handle, but it's like the perfect size for, you know, the car it actually fits into the cup holder and everything. And it doesn't burn your hands when you have hot coffee. It keeps it hot for a long time. And it says Google IO on it. So I'm always reminded of what a nerd I am. <laughs> I
0: love it. Very <laughs> nice. Well, I'm, um, I'm glad to hear that. I have not had as much exposure to Google as you guys have. I have a water bottle, which I think JJ also has, that's really nice, except it's way too tall. It doesn't quite fit in my dishwasher. So I will uh, cheat and say that my best uh, swag isn't that hard? is an Apple swag. It, I got a, a satin jacket one year at the dev wow. at WWE, which was kind of fancy. Um, that's really yeah, nice. Yeah, it was nice. It's, it, I still get to wear it. And the few people who recognize it think better of me when I wear it, which is all that counts. <laughs> Well, uh, Florence Ion and JJ Meadow, thank you so much for being on the show. Let me give each of you an opportunity to plug the things you do around the internet so people can continue to interact with you and find out as much as they care to about Google and whatever else you're doing. Flo, why don't we start with you? Well, if you want to read
1: my writing at Gizmodo, I actually have a special URL, flowrites.tech. Type that into your link bar and it'll take you to my author page at gizmodo.com. Uh, you probably won't see some things for me because I'm actually, when you hear this podcast, I will have been on leave. So <laughs> taking a nice little break, but there's plenty of stuff there that you can read. And then, of course, I do a podcast here on the Relay FM Network with Andy and Notco, where we talk all about Google and uh, and and everything else that Andy and I have
0: in common. So please check us out. I will say that knowing Andy from way back when he was an Apple guy, the degree to which he has become Googled. I won't say he's not he's not brainwashed by any means. Andy is his own man and has his own opinions. But the the degree to which he is like I I switch teams is kind of the wrong word because it still sounds like brainwashed. (laughs) But I mean, Apple was Andy was like super Apple guy. And now he is. I know. That's how I knew. He is. He is quite the Google Google guy. And it's it's fun to listen to you guys. It's an enjoyable show. And uh, there are there are rants and there are off topic conversations. And it is fun. and I enjoy it. (laughs) And I learned all about the candy you. that you got at Google I.O. Oh, and
2: Oh, yeah. They always have they the candy. Yes.
0: <laughs> that was really fun. I, I wanted that I brought so. a bunch of food.
2: Yes. <laughs> and the ice cream. The ice cream was great.
0: Yeah. JJ, where can people yeah. find you online?
2: Well, yeah. I used to do a podcast and, you know, hopefully. I used, uh, to, help. <laughs> and you used to help. And used to help. Yes. No. And I, I mean, honestly, it's been so busy over the past couple of years, so just really haven't done much with it, but hopefully going to bring that back soon. That it's over at Blind Bargains on the various podcasts app if you want to go back into the more historical. Uh, ATGuys.com is where I sell tech products and we do consulting and training. I've been doing a lot of Android training and consulting for... Anyone who needs help figuring out accessibility, whether it's for yourself or your company. Um, Yeah, like I said, hopefully more podcasting soon. And uh, I don't have a fancy writing URL, though. Oh, wow, that's really cool. (laughs) But... uh
0: I pay for it. Oh, well. <laughs> of course. <Yes. laughs> Nothing's I have lots of domains I don't use, <laughs> yes. so I understand. <laughs> well, speaking of domains that we are using, you can find this podcast at relay.fm slash parallel. That's where you can find all the subscription links. You can also find our merch link because Parallel has a shirt that says accessibility sprinkles. Please go buy one because they're cool. I did. Yay, I I appreciate that. Yeah, you told me you were doing it, and you you did, and that's exciting. It's very comfortable and soft. Nice. That's that's what I love about those Cotton Bureau shirts. They're soft, and they're comfy. I'm thinking of doing a phone case next just for fun. And let's see. (laughs) uh, You can also find us on Mastodon. We're still on Twitter. Don't tell anybody uh, because, you know, I can't give up. Uh, But there are also links to the uh, Mastodon presence and the Twitter presence. And if if there's a social media out there, I'll probably be – on it. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks, if not sooner, because this is a tech dev conference season. So who knows what could happen, but we'll be back real soon with another episode of Parallel. Bye for now.